Hey, uh, why don't you stand, grab your Bible, take a stretch for a moment, and uh, turn to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. Today is kind of bits and pieces of a number of things that we're putting together here. Luke chapter 10. And I just want to note this. I, last Sunday, as we talked about our call to love the nations, which is in our neighborhood and beyond, um, I cannot leave this subject without taking some time on a Sunday to talk about an area that is very special, near, to, near and dear to God's heart. There is a special place in God's heart for the orphan, for the widow, for the stranger, and for the poor. And we're going to spend some time and see God's heart on that so that we can get our heart on that and more on that. God, I pray as we open your word right now and just delve um, delve into an area that is very special to you. I pray we'd see it and get it. Just in these short amount of time we have here left, may your word speak for eternity. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Go ahead and grab a seat. Luke chapter 10, are you there? All right. Let me begin reading in verse 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, to put Christ to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to them, oh, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. This sounds familiar, doesn't it? With all your soul, with all your... And with all your... And, oh, by the way, it's not a subset of, it's not a, an addendum uh, in small print at the bottom of the page. It is not if it's cozy for me. It is tied directly to this statement. And your neighbor is yourself. And he said to him, uh, you have, Jesus said, you have answered correctly. Do this. Look at this. And you will live. Uh, Luke is um, recording something we've been familiar with. Here, a lawyer, a scribe, kind of tries to lawyer the situation, if you will. Uh, in other words, uh, in this, we get this idea that there's some uncomfort here, and he is about now to uh, move this. Take a look, verse 29. But he, the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied. Now, now let's just pause here for a little bit. Luke is the only gospel that now records what we are about to read, which is the story of the Good Samaritan. Um, Jesus is going to answer his question. Here's the question on the table. Um, Who's my neighbor? I mean, that's kind of like, what is is? Uh, Who's my neighbor? This is a lawyer, how a lawyer handles things oftentimes. Love you, lawyers. Uh, But, uh, yeah. But here Jesus is about to answer this thing of uh, who's my neighbor and what does it mean to love your neighbor? And uh, think of this. Jesus could answer this in any way that he wants. 
A God in the flesh could go anywhere. He could pick any kind of parable, and he does pick a parable here. Now, there's some debate about, is this an actual real story that they knew about that Jesus is pulling and using it as a teaching moment? Or is this actually kind of a parable that's a theoretical story for the purpose of teaching, and it's not an actual event? That's not the relevancy at the point here, but I want to bring it to this. Jesus is about to go into telling a story here to tell and define the the question. And as he's doing this, he could pick any kind of person to tell of the story. In other words, he could pick a child and define the uh, answer the question by using a child. He could define it by using an adult. He could define it by uh, using a friend as an illustration. He could define it by using a relative or a neighbor or a co-worker. But he doesn't use any of those. He picks a certain kind of person. He also picks a certain kind of activity to define it here. Now, Jesus could have done anything. It says, what does it look like to love your neighbor? Well, it could be, he could have talked about give a kind word. He could have gone on and told a story about just refrain from getting even. That's loving your neighbor. And that is, isn't it? That is. He could say, invite your friends over for a grill out. Uh, That would be loving on your neighbor. He could have done it. He said, you know, go wash the temple windows. I don't know if they had windows, but uh, go to, because it's loving on your community. And listen, all of those things are good things that he could have used. But I just want to note here, where does he go? Of all the stories he uses to define what loving his neighbor is, why does he go to where he goes? I just here's the thing, here's the answer, and we're going to see here in the scriptures, is because God has a special place in his heart for the hurting. Let's read the rest of the story. Verse 30, Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him, beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side, not just passed by, but other side. Verse 32, so likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the, where? Other side. But, I love the but of scripture. But, but a Samaritan. Oh, by the way, Samaritan would be viewed as a dog. This is low life. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, this man was. And when he saw him, he walked around, no, he went to the other side of the road. No, he had compassion on him. And he went to him and bound his up his wounds, pouring oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal. Uh, on whose animal? On his own. On his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever uh, more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Now, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, uh, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and you do likewise. Uh, Jesus makes the Samaritan the hero in this story. Uh, This wasn't about a Jew helping a Samaritan In the context of talking to Jews, this wasn't about a Jew helping a Jew, one of their own. This was about a Samaritan 
helping a Jew. And Samaritan helping a Jew who had been ignored by his own fellow Jews, if you will. So the Samaritan sees a need of a stranger, has compassion on that person, and initiates action, unlike the others. Jesus takes a discussion concept and puts skin to it, puts a face to it. He moves it from let's debate about it to you go do it. And of all the people and of all the kinds of activities that Jerry, Jesus could have pulled together for this story to define what your neighbor is and what love your neighbor is, he picks a half-dead lying in the street hurting nobody. Why would Jesus go there? Well, it's just what happened to fit the time. Well, turn to Exodus chapter 22. Exodus chapter 22. I think Jesus went there because there's a special place in God's heart for the hurting. Exodus 22. The context is in chapter 19, the Hebrews, uh, the Hebrew ex-Hebrew slaves are now out of Egypt after being slaves there for 400 years. They're at Mount Sinai. Moses goes up the mountain. Uh, God gives them the Ten Commandments. Uh, but the story just doesn't end with the two tablets of the Ten Commandments. I don't know if you know that or not. But it was actually, there was much more than just these two tablets. Uh, God is literally now communicating to Moses about how he wants an entire social structure set up. Why? Because God's people are to be set apart and different. And, and listen, friends, we read these kind of areas and we like get into Leviticus and just get so lost and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, sometimes it's like, well, duh, you're supposed to do that. No, no, no. You've got to go back to this day and age. And I'm telling you, there had been nowhere on the whole planet ever that was being told to live as a society in this kind of a way that Jesus, God is now talking here. What is being talked about here is completely out of anything normal. Just watch the movie Gladiator. Best movie of all time. People were meat to be used. But look at here, Exodus chapter 22, verse 21. God is talking here and setting up the social structure. Uh, You shall not wrong a sojourner or a stranger, an alien, a foreigner, or oppress him. Uh, For you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. Uh, You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. And he gets pretty serious. Look, verse 23, if you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry. Man, there's a special place. Verse 24, and my wrath will burn. And God gets a little bit upset here. Look, and I will kill you with a sword and your wife shall become widows and your children fatherless. Is God serious about this? Oh, yeah. He sure is. Turn to Deuteronomy 24. I've got Deuteronomy 10 there. But Deuteronomy 10 is just a restatement of what we just read. It's after Moses comes down and they've built the calf and uh, the golden calf, and he breaks the tablets, and God reestablishes it. And look at Deuteronomy 24, a, a time later. Deuteronomy 24, verse 19. Uh, look at this. When you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back and get it. 
It shall be for the sojourner, or the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. Verse 20, when you beat your olive trees to do that, to get the olives to fall down, you shall not go over them again. It shall be for the sojourner. It shall be for the fatherless and the widow. When you gather the grapes of your vineyard, you shall not strip it afterward. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless and the widow. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I command you to do this. Oh, not I suggest this. Not I would really appreciate it. Not it would make my day. It was I what? I command you to do this. There's a very special place in God's heart for these people. And God is making sure that they're being taken care of. Hmm. Turn to Ezekiel 22. Ezekiel, uh, it's about a little to the right, midway through your Bible. There's Proverbs, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. Head there. This is worth finding. In Ezekiel, uh, the context is God's people have been deported. Uh, They're living in Babylon, and the exiled Israelites are waiting to be reunited. They're anticipating good things coming. Uh, But God has something to say, and it isn't quite so good right at the moment uh, because he confronts their disobedience. He confronts their disobedience because there's been massive idolatry, and he confronts their disobedience because there's been massive social injustice. And that includes taking advantage of their own poor, failing to provide housing for the poor, neglecting the orphans and the widows, exploiting the immigrant, Oppressing the powerless? Listen, not loving others is not loving God. And God has something to say to his own people about this very seriously. Ezekiel 22, verse 6. Behold, the princes of Israel in you, everyone according to his own power, have been bent on shedding blood. Father and mother are treated with contempt in you. Uh, The stranger, the sojourner, suffers extortion in your midst. The fatherless and the widow are wronged in you. You have despised my holy things and profaned my Sabbath. Now, I add to that, don't turn there, but just listen to Malachi 3.5. God says, then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely. Now, those are kind of like, ooh, those are the really bad ones. But look at what he ties into this. Those who oppress the hired worker and his wages. Those who oppress the widow and those who oppress the fatherless. Uh, Look at this. Against those who thrust aside the sojourner. Goodness, that sounds like Luke 10. Just walk right alongside the stranger and right on out. And do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. Now add to that Psalm 68, 5. It says, he is father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. Uh, Friends, um, God takes very seriously how his people treat the stranger, how his people treat the orphan, 
how his people treat the widow, how his people treat the poor. Why? Because they have a very special place in his heart. And because you and I know grace. And those who know big grace, we cannot be hoarders of that. We're to be extenders of that. Those who have been given grace have the opportunity to extend grace to the hurting. How big of a deal is this for you and I? Well, just listen to James one twenty seven. Listen to this. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. To visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Uh, God's serious about this. God is dead dog serious about this. How big of a deal of it? How big of a deal is it for you and I? One last passage, Matthew 25. One last passage, Matthew 25. Matthew 25. Matthew 25, verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Uh, This is before the millennium. Uh, Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger welcome you or naked and clothe you and when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you and the king will answer them truly i say to you as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers you did it to me then he will say to those on his left depart from me you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and the angels for i was hungry and you gave me no food I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, truly, I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it. To me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Listen, folks, this is not about earning salvation. This is about the issue of the fruit of salvation. Is there fruit? 
And is there fruit in this area? Why did Christ select the story of Luke 19 to answer the question? Because it's something that's very special and near and dear to his heart. Love the poor. Love the hurting. Love the orphan. Love the widow. Wealth is not inherently evil. Scripture does not condemn riches or possessions in and of themselves. In fact, Scripture teaches that God gives us material resources for our good. In the words of Paul, God richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Much error would occur if someone walked away from this thinking that money and possessions are necessarily bad. They are actually good gifts from the hand of God, intended for our enjoyment and the spread of his glory. The point is not that every picture on the wall in your house or my house is evil. The point is also not that we would need to feel guilty whenever we purchase anything that is not an absolute necessity. The reality is that most everything in our lives in the American culture would be classified as a luxury, not a necessity. The computer I'm writing this book on, the spoon and fork I will eat my dinner with, The bed and the pillow I'll sleep on tonight. All luxuries. The point we can learn from this event is that our perspective on our possessions radically changes when we open our eyes to the needs of the world around us. When we have the courage to look in the faces of brothers and sisters whose bodies are malnourished, whose brains are deformed because they have no food. Christ will change our desires and we will long to sacrifice our resources for the glory of his name among them. So what would happen if we uncovered this blind spot in our lives and began paying attention to those who are in need? Why not begin operating under the idea that God has given us excess? Not so we could have more, but so that we could give more. Now, we're getting radical. Let me just close with a couple points here to consider. Number one, am I willing to look around? Am I willing to look around? Just look around. Who is in need around you right now? Who is in need around you right now? What can you do for them? What can you do? Who is in need beyond you? Who is in need beyond you? Uh, What can you do? Morrises are involved in helping supporting kids through Compassion International. What can you do? 
Kirsten. And Lauren are going to be going to Guatemala this summer. Work with orphans. Can we help them? Second, am I willing to restructure and initiate? But that's the government's job, Doug. No. Truth is, God's people have abdicated our call to our government. And church, it's time to begin considering taking back the call. Restructure. I don't have time. Restructure it. Make time. Initiate. Well, what program do you have here at Harvest for me to sign up for? Um, Right now? Hardly any. So, go. We will. But we're walking before we're running. But that still doesn't abdicate the responsibility for me as a follower of Christ to jump in and be doing this. Third, am I willing to be taken advantage of? You see, but if I give five bucks to that person on the street, they may misuse it. Yeah, they may. I'm not saying don't be wise. Are you willing to be taken advantage of with your money? Uh, What if I put all that time into that person and then it doesn't turn back the kind of results that I expected? It's all for God anyway, supposedly. Let's be wise. Let's be radical. Listen, there's a special place in God's heart for the orphan, for the widow, for the stranger, the poor, and the hurting. And our eyes need to pay attention. Let's look this week differently than last week. You are loved. Now, go and love people with the love of Jesus.